This is the old dirty basement. Home to the Bagri. Madness, murder, and mayhem. A terror-filled train ride deep into the depths of the Devil's Den. With a little bit of humor. And history. I'm your announcer, Shallow Throat. Your hosts are Dave and Matt. I love you, Kate Beckinsale. Call me sometime. Hey, this is Matt. And this is Dave. And welcome to the old dirty basement. Where every week we cover a true crime. Or a compelling story. So sit back. Relax. And comprehend. Hello, hello, old friends and new, and welcome to the old dirty basement. It's time to dust off these Belco doors, open them on up, and uh, clear the cobwebs out. Let's get down to some business. I am Matthew, and as always, is Dave. How you feeling, Dave? Feeling good, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well today. I'll get ready for this uh, story we have coming up for everybody out there. Yeah, real excited about it. This story takes place in northern Lebanon County, which is not far from where we're located, along the Blue Mountain Range. Where's the the Blue Mountain Range at? So that's out near the Gap. And I'm not talking about where you buy khakis. Lo- local people here, <laughs> local people here would know that's the Indian Town Gap. Okay, they do. What, what's out there? They run the militaries yeah, out there, right? Yeah, they do military exercises and different things like and, that. And uh, push-ups and sit-ups for, uh, <laughs> yeah, to get everybody yeah, get in shape. Exactly, stuff like that. Every now and then you'll hear explosions because we're very close to it. So sometimes your windows will be rattling. And oh, yeah. nice Lebanon County. There's a lot of uh, what, what's out there. What do we have out there? Well, they're known for their their baloney. Lebanon baloney. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they, yeah. they grow a lot of Lebanon baloney out there yeah, yeah. in, uh, one in of, Lebanon. One of their, <laughs> yeah, one of their their main exports. But yeah, it, it's the next county over from us, and like I said, you know, a lot of farmland. And and this particular case took place in the northern part of the county, away from the city of Lebanon. I actually had the uh, benefit of talking to a gentleman who's directly related to oh. to two of the blue eyed six. And that's our story for today, right? That, the Blue Eyed Six. That's our story All today right. is the Blue Eyed Six. And I'm glad I was able to talk to this gentleman because I got a lot of good info, stuff that wasn't online. And I think we got a good story. Ooh, can't wait. I'm excited. So I guess here, without any further ado, we have the Blue Eyed Six for you guys. So here we go. But before we get into that, it's time for some foreplay. Hey, not that kind of foreplay. Here's four hints to give you a taste of what's to come. Shallow Creek. Slaughtered Livestock. Sherlock Holmes. Stalled cars. And now, time for some history. If you picked up a local Lebanon County newspaper in February of 1879, you might be shocked to find that the death of Joseph Raybert was not an accidental one, but indeed a murder. Or maybe you wouldn't be shocked at all. When Raybert was murdered in December of 1878, the coroner had ruled it an accidental drowning. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. In July of 1878, Joseph Raybert was around 60 years old. He lived in the Blue Mountain area of Lebanon County, Pennsylvania, and he did not have family, nor was he gainfully employed. Oh, gainfully employed. What, what's a gentleman who is gainfully employed mean? Well, you know, I'm going to have to get on the script writer about this. You know, you got to dumb it down a little bit for, you know what I mean, for us. Okay, yeah. You know? So, but anyway, I think what they mean by that is, nor was he gainfully employed. Was, That's what it says, yeah, gainfully. Was that not a lot of work, maybe just enough to get by. That's what I kind of get out of it. Okay. You know, just enough to pay the bills and live. So he had jobs, but they were not, he not, he didn't have a regular nine to fiver is what they're saying. Basically. Yeah. Just, you know, let me work here just to to pay for this and that. And that's it. All right. So gainfully employed. We got that. He shared a hut with a friend and a housekeeper, Polly Kreiser. 
He should, oh, a hut, which yeah. is a small house. Yeah, basically from what I read, it was not much of, of anything. And Polly Kreiser, they have listed as a housekeeper. They use the word concubine. Like less than a wife to or dumb a girl. A prostitute, maybe. No, no I don't oh, I okay. want to say prostitute, but just like less less than a wife, not really even a girlfriend. So kind of a girlfriend, but not a girlfriend. So in just, 1879, when you heard a housekeeper was living with somebody, it, it could be it could be something. <laughs> I guess it was just a nice way of saying it. You All right, know, gotcha, you know, gotcha. I'm, I'm sure there were other services going on other than Dustin and, and whatnot. But. All right. Well, yeah, due to his lack of family, his age, and poor health, Four local men conspired to insure Raber's life for $10,000. The men approached Raber with their plan. They offered to take care of him as he aged and to cover his funeral expenses with the insurance money. He agreed. The four men, Henry Wise, Josiah Hummel, Israel Brandt, and George Zeckman, had actually planned to split the insurance money. So we have four men involved here. We have Wise, Hummel, Brandt, and Zeckman. Yeah, it's a, isn't that a law firm? Sounds like a law firm. I, I don't know. I think <laughs> Actually, you put those yes. names. I, I wouldn't be surprised. But they, they had to be smooth talkers. Yeah, you you're figured, right. Figured, have to trust them guys. Yeah, to get this guy on board. I mean, they had to be smooth. I would be very suspect. Somebody coming, you know, wanting to take insurance out on me. But yeah, sure. that'd be like if we would go to our neighbors and ask, you know, hey, we, we'd like to take an insurance policy out on you. What do you think about that? Like 1879, this stuff may have happened more than people thought. I'm sure it did happen. I mean, at that time, that was actually something you could do. This case changed all that. I think they said it was the first case, or if not the first, one of the first cases of insurance fraud in Pennsylvania. Well, here, in December of 1878, the men grew impatient while waiting for his health to decline. The four men met at a hotel owned by Brandt to devise a plan. They ultimately decided that they would stage an accidental drowning. To carry out their plan, they enlisted an additional conspirator, Charles Drews. Drews was Brandt's neighbor. He was offered $300 from each of the four policyholders to drown Raber. He agreed. Ooh, well, so, he, oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I was going to say, we're getting more people involved here. Yeah, you, you have know. Wise, Hummel, Brandt, Zeckman, and now we got Charles Drews, who was Brandt's neighbor. Uh, Charles Drews, yeah, he was Brandt's neighbor. Now, Brandt, from what I read, was like the mastermind. He was the barkeeper. He owned a bar there or tavern at St. Joseph Springs where they all lived, and he's the one that kind of orchestrated all this. He, he kind of right. round these guys up and got them on board. See, I would want to knock Brandt off because he's the one that has like an actual, he has a nicer place than a Mr. Raver here. I mean, you would think, but he's, like I said, he was the one that was actually getting everybody on board mm-hmm. to do it. He was the one that was kind of pushing these guys. So you kind of had the smarts. Yeah. Okay. He was actually, believe it or not, they were like stealing livestock and slaughtering these livestock in his uh, basement of his hotel. And he would use that food to feed the the people at, at the, the tavern hotel. or the okay. hotel tavern or bar and the, the people involved would actually take ho- food home for their family as well it's yeah. kind of like Leatherface. <laughs> yeah right feed the people in the town there yeah okay yeah all right drews is going to take raber on a fishing trip he in turn approached a friend frank stickler to assist him in the plan another guy for you mr stickler getting up to six now yep stickler had a bad feeling about the plan and refused to be part of it Drews then enlisted his son-in-law, Joseph Peter, six. Okay. Oh, that's seven. seven. Yeah. To accompany them onto the fishing trip. When they got to the river, they found that the raft had been submerged, so that they were unable to go out into the water. Drews went back to Stickler, who agreed to help them with the plan for the right price. Peter's backed out, you know, he didn't want anything to do with it. Now he's a family member now that knows what's going on. But also I found out that I guess these weren't the only guys involved. There were other guys that were approached. 
So they went up. They talked to more people than than the Blue Eyed Six. There yeah, was yeah, there yeah. was a bunch more that they were asking. Yeah, I mean, there was more people in the town that were approached, and they were well aware that hey, these guys are trying to hatch a plan. Now they got a lot of people involved as it is, let alone the people we don't know about that were involved or knew of it. And I guess these guys didn't see Goodfellas because if you saw Goodfellas, and obviously the movie wasn't out great there, movie, but great movie. You remember movie. the. What was it, the Lufthansa heist? Luft- the, yes, Lufthansa, yes. Yeah. It was something to get money off of the uh, the plane the, coming in there to New Jersey. Right. Yeah. And when you have many people involved in a crime, people are going to talk, people are going to know. Obviously, they weren't Loose thinking. Loose lips sink ships. That's, that's it, man. They weren't thinking about it. They were just thinking about getting paid. And going back to the money aspect of that, you're talking about $10,000 in 1878. That's a lot of money. That is actually a house, like a, a house back then in 1878, a 32 by 40 four-room house was $700. Yeah, which that's, is, that's crazy. And you could get like a plow, cultivator, field equipment for $325. So a couple thousand dollars to somebody back then, you're, you're looking at a good life. You could pay your house off. You know, you could do a lot of things. Like I was trying to think of an equivalent. I mean, would it be like equivalent to a million dollars today? You know, would it be that much? Oh, you're mean, talking it, math now, Dave. Yeah, yeah, it's not to, not our strong suit. I'm going to have to back, so, back so, away on this one. Yeah, we're talking for the time, a lot of money. And think back, it's not like you're buying a PS5 or something that's like five, six, seven hundred dollars. There was not much to do. Yeah, seven hundred dollars, like I said, was a house. Yeah, there's just not much to do in that area. Mm-mm. You need a house. You need food. Yeah, pretty you, much. And, and you know that's it. All right. So. On December 7th of 1878, Drusen Stickler asked Raber to accompany them across the creek to get some meat from a neighbor on the second mountain. As they crossed a rickety plank, Raber was thrown into the icy waters by Frank Stickler, who grabbed him by the shoulders. The Indian Town Creek was a shallow creek and about 18 inches in depth. Raber was a strong man for his age who pushed back, so Drews had to help push him down to keep him underwater until his final breaths. So Raber at the time was around... 60 years old. Charles Drews was around, I think he was 59. He was 59. I see it right here. And Frank Stickler, who is actually the one that threw him in the water, was 19. So you would figure in 19. So Stickler was the muscle then of the operation. Yeah, he was the one. He he had made comments when they were, you know, planning this murder. He was like, I'll murder any man for the right price. So like you said, back then, a couple, a thousand dollars or something for somebody was a lot of money. So the Stickler kid at 19 thought he'd be rolling what I did read was we had the $10,000 then they offered $300 to Drews for the policyholders to for, drown Raber. Yeah. Yep. So he, he would have got 300 from the four of them, which would have been 1200. Well then he in turn, it was a hundred dollars offered to Stickler Hold for on, his me, part in it. Carry the one. <laughs> yeah. Here. Do some yeah. math. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this guy, he's young. He's a loose cannon, I'm sure. And he was like, I'll do it. No problem. Well, he couldn't hold him under the water. He was having problems. So Raber was in good shape for a man of nearly 60 years old. Yeah, because you're hardworking back then. It's not like you're sitting around the house, you know, playing PlayStation, watching TV. You're out taking care of yourself pretty much, but you have fields to to plow. And Mm -hmm. Now, to get this policy, they had to have a a physician come and check Raber out and make sure that he was healthy enough to be covered so like and, not smoking like right, yeah. four packs of cigarettes a day or whatever Which, they did back then yeah, i think they were all every, everybody was smoking and, and drinking heavily back yeah. then i'm sure no but they checked him out he was healthy so he wasn't in bad shape and i did read on a couple other websites that he was not in great health but i do trust the sources that i had here and they said he actually fought back and gave him a hard time so they took two of them to hold him under the right. water and it was like an 18 inch 
was it 18 inches of water? Yeah, they said around, roughly yeah. like that. So it's not like something where you're really going to drown. You have to be held under or pass out. Sitting or there like, splashing around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, hey. <laughs> it's like a baby pool, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Well, the coroner initially ruled the death as an accidental drowning. Well, there was a lot of gossip in the town about a being a murder plot. It was a case that was not reopened until two months later when Joseph Peter reported being an eyewitness to the murder. One thing that gets me about this whole situation is why would you get involved in something like this? The whole thing seems strange to me, but I guess back then there wasn't a lot going on. They're bored. They're like, let's, <laughs> let's kill people. Let's just go kill somebody. And, and <laughs> what are you doing li- today? Listen, uh, kill somebody. Let's liven the place up around here a little bit. Get something going. Yeah, let's, let's get our names in the paper, man. Let's, uh, let's go for it. I mean, there's nothing else to do. It's a good guess. I mean, yeah. I would figure, because they're talking about $300, and we're thinking, oh, $300, what the hell, you want to kill somebody? But that mm-hmm. could you could be good for a few years on that. They were all in bad financial shape. They needed the money. They mm-hmm. all had their reasoning for different things that they needed. A few of them had children. One of them, I read, had like 11 children. So that's a lot of mouths to feed. Brant seemed like he's the one that owned the, the hotel that he would, like you said, would have been well off, but... But he's Obviously. yeah. You needed a mind behind it. So right. usually they listen. If somebody had money back then, they all want to be on his level. So they're looking <laughs> at him like, "Hey, tell us what to do, and and, and we'll do it." Now Drews was fifty nine, and he was a butcher. I do know that they said he relocated to the area. His wife. He was away at, at war in the Civil War twice, and while he was away, supposedly his wife they said that she was being unfaithful. She denied mm-hmm. it, but she had ran up some debts when he got back from the Civil War. He had to sell his property to pay it off, and they relocated this northern lemonary. So he was in a bad spot in his life. Mm-hmm. He was Brant's neighbor. Brant had him butchering that meat that we were talking about in the basement, Yep, the livestock. So he kind of had him and kind of worked him into the mix. Uh, like I said, these guys all were a little desperate. Yeah, when you're talking money back then, people were easily uh, influenced, much like today, too. Yeah, so not that much difference. Makes the world go around, you know? That's right. The six men, Wise, Hummel, Brant, Zeckman, Drews, and Stickler, were charged with murder. All six were tried together. The trial attracted worldwide attention. All six defendants had blue eyes. During the trial, they were dubbed the Blue-Eyed Six. (laughs) That was pretty original, since they all had blue eyes. Wow. The trial was full of contradicting information from friends and family, and the defendants in addition to the eyewitness account by Joseph Peter. All six were found guilty. All six filed appeals. Zegman was acquitted but died within a few years. The five others were hanged for their crimes. So what do you think Zekman? Zekman had a little bit of money or? Yeah, Zekman was the most well-off of all these men. Okay. And what I read is that he got a fancy out-of-town lawyer. Probably somebody from around here, probably the Harrisburg area, the capital. Well, yeah. I would think maybe in New York City or somewhere. Ooh. And, and got a lawyer that obviously got him off. But he actually never admitted anything. Zekman he, kept he, his mouth shut. He kept his mouth shut through all this. People had eyewitnesses had seen him associating with these men. There was really no concrete evidence that he was involved, but he was able to get off. Obviously, he died seven years later. I think his health declined, and a lot of people were saying that was a punishment from God for being a part of this. This trial at the time was big time. I mean, people traveled, reporters traveled from all over the East Coast to come cover this. Lebanon was not a happening place then. I mean, it's a nice place to come visit. It's not like a happening place where people would travel from all over the world to come to, but when this trial was going on, it was a sensation. At that time, people would travel, come cover it. That blue-eyed six term they came up with and they were thrown out there gave it this mystique. You they know. actually may have had a, a reporter from TMZ on the case back then. <laughs> they were That's waiting why. outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
that the Kardashians <laughs> were there. You're probably right. They definitely would have been. <laughs> so, yes, this was the first time in recorded U.S. history that six defendants were found guilty in one trial. They also prompted changes to the insurance laws, which we talked about earlier. Is you had to have done something about that because if people were able to do this, then... Yeah, I mean, people murder their own family members for money. People were ruthless. So when you're talking about people that aren't family members... It's a lot easier. You're going to get targeted because he, I don't know, you know, if they thought he thought he was just an easy target. He thought uh, it was easy money, man. Maybe he was very easily persuaded, but I do know that, that had to change. But like you said, this story was so big back then, it inspired Sir Arthur Conan Doyle to write a short story called The Red-Headed League. Yeah, and it was based on, a, it was a millionaire from Lebanon is what they used in the story, I believe. And they, they changed it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, they changed but it a little. That just tells you the scope of this, that it inspired. How big it was. Yeah, it inspired mm-hmm. him, you know, who wrote all the Sherlock Holmes. And I think that cat was from like England or something too. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if make it all the way out there. Yep. And it, word, tra- I would say word travels fast, but back then it would be like three, four years before it got out there on a boat. You don't have the internet. They had pigeons and such. But yeah, Raber is now buried at the Moonshine Church in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. There have been many stories of hauntings at that church. Some include cars that are turned off and will not restart. Ghosts appear within the church windows at night, and the most common haunting occurrences have been the sightings of six sets of glowing blue eyes in the cemetery located there. Is it the blue-eyed six? Maybe. Maybe. You never know. I mean, you go out there, your car turns off. You're out there with your girl, your girl's turned off. It's just not a romantic place, you know what I mean? But Well, it depends what kind of car you have yeah, also. Yeah, it, it, it depends, you know. Because, I mean, that, you're looking at, like, this isn't something that I think rich people would do is drive out there in the middle of the night. So you're not talking very high-end cars, you know what I mean? Nah. I mean, people were intrigued by this. There's people that love this stuff. When you talk about hauntings, and I mean, yeah, I do too. I'm interested in it. But this, I've heard this legend for years now about the Blue Eyed Six. And I actually didn't really hear about it until I was probably in my 20s, which was kind of surprising. But I've been hearing about it for the past 20 plus years. Different stories of people that went out there and, and have experienced things. But I've never really heard anybody say for a fact that they saw anything supernatural. It was a lot of. I, th- I saw my reflection. Which other. when you're out in a place like that too, your mind is telling you things that you want to see or want to do. Yeah. like Which makes it the, it makes it more fun. I think it makes it someplace. I, I mean, I definitely would like to go visit there now that all the, the research and stuff we did behind this. Yeah, supposedly in the church windows at night, you can see faces of the victims or faces in inside the church. I know a girl that was out there with her sister. They were in a car and they drove by and she looked and saw her reflection and screamed mm. and her sister screamed and they drove off. She's, I think it was just me. And that's where your mind can play tricks on you. Like me and my friend Bushwick. Yeah. Yeah. We're robbing little kids for bags. Yeah. I think back then Halloween fell on a weekend. Yeah. Uh, trick or treating. Uh, but it's also a place to go with family and try to play tricks on them. Yeah. And you would have a friend of yours uh, who did something like that. Yeah. There's a guy I know that did that to his 11 year old daughter. They went out and his wife set it up. He went out ahead of time with some flashlights and kind of hid behind the grave. And then the wife went out with the daughter that night and they were like, oh, no, look, there's blue lights. But it was just him screwing around. Now, Raber's in, like you said, Raber's the only one buried there. The, the rest of them are scattered throughout the county. Yeah, three of them were close by, for, I'm pretty sure. But he's the only one at the Moonshine Church that's buried on the property. And, you know, thinking of Moonshine Church, that makes me think maybe there's some distilling going on out there, you know, some. Oh, yeah, definitely. You just know spirits of the spirit world. But I'm talking about people like actually drinking spirits just to see stuff like that out there. Moonshine Church, having a couple beers, a couple kickback with some liquor. They also say there were people that were hung at the location where they have the Lebanon market. And oh, go ahead. No, the current Lebanon market. Yeah, I think 
I think I heard or read that the actual basement floor of that was where the prison was. Maybe Yes, they- and they say that's where the people were actually hung there at the Lebanon market. They also sell a lot of Lebanon bologna, which we spoke of earlier. Yeah, definitely. From, uh, from the, the local growers. One of their major uh, exports for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're out there, you can go to the market, and I think they do have some sort of like tours and things like that where you can like try to find and look for ghosts. But I don't know the exact name. They said it was indeed haunted there, which I would say, you know, with six people being hung there, there has to be plenty of spirits and, and not the kind you drink. Yeah, so I was thinking about the Blue-Eyed Six, you know, if this crime didn't work out. I mean, that'd be a good boy band name. The Blue- Blue- oh, you know, I do like that. Yeah. Like, like New Kids on the Block. Yeah, they could be on the mixtape tour and things like that. The Blue-Eyed Six. Yeah, the Blue-Eyed Six. And I think Stickler would be like the bad boy, you know what I mean? They always had that one guy. That's kind of like the bad boy of the group. We should get pictures, get like hats for them, get them their own look. Yeah, like they could have tried to get off and made a career out of that instead of going to jail. Yeah. I mean, they could have toured with those guys. That mixtape tours coming around. I mean, this is, what, 100-some years ago, but. We, they could have been the first mixtape tour. Yeah, I guess they couldn't use that song, Hanging Tough. That's already taken. <laughs> So, but it could have came up with some stuff, but yeah, I was just thinking about that. Another thing about this story mm-hmm. that came to mind is, uh, you know, these guys probably knew at some point they're going to get caught for the murder. Oh yeah. So why not do like a weekend at Raber's, like weekend at Bernie's, <laughs> you know, carrying them around. Yeah. Prop them up. Like, <laughs> like throw sunglasses on them, you know, and try to play it off. The guy, so, <laughs> the guy, it's like, Hey, Hey, Joe Raber. Hey, yeah, yeah, you got to yeah. talk to you. Yeah. Just like carry him around the town, you know, just play it off. Yeah. Just like, play, yeah. like he didn't drown. Like, he's I fine. Yeah. The guy's not murdered. Yeah. He's right here with us. Yeah. I mean, I think that might've worked and they could, you know, then figure out something later instead yeah, that, of trying to, you know, cause at some point they had to know we're done. We're dead meat. That's genius, Dave. I think they should have talked to you if you were living then. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways I could have got out of this, but mm-hmm. oh well. Stupidity. Let's wrap this up, Matt. What did you take away from today's story? Like, what are some of the main things you think? Um, some things I would, I would really say is uh, if you're going to be involved in a murder or any sort of crime, like we're not giving lessons again, but if you would be involved with something like that, I, I think you should keep it to maybe one person. Yeah. Or even family. Family doesn't work either. Right. Because if more than one person knows about something, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, these guys weren't going around town asking people, like I said earlier, that we don't even know about, but the whole town kind of knew. There was whisperings of foul play here. So these guys were looking all over the place. So that's a very valid you know, point, I guess, point yeah. that you made is that when you have this many people and we don't condone especially, murder or yeah. crimes, but it was obviously not a good idea. At this time, especially like you said, when you don't have much going on in your town and Bobby's going to talk to Tony, Tony's going to talk yeah. to Lisa, yeah. and, and then everybody hears a little bit of the story before it actually happened. I guess another thing that I took away from this story is that you can actually grow bologna. I didn't know that. Oh. It, it grows in the ground. Yes, the fields. Yeah. I mean, you learn something every day. In, the, in that part of the uh, state. You know what? Yeah, I mean, that's a good takeaway from all this. Another thing would be maybe don't cross a wobbly plank. I don't know. But I mean, the poor guy. He didn't, he didn't know, honestly, what was coming to him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just a lot of people involved for, for nothing just to get hung. Right. That's what it ended up, you know, being. But it is a crazy story. It was a sensation. And here we are, how many years later, talking about it. I know that's more math. Let's stay away from that. <laughs> but at any rate, yeah, we, um, appre- we appreciate everybody. Yes, everybody. This everybody, is our thank uh, you. first episode. And everybody that listened to the trailer, we appreciate it. I want to give a shout out to Dave from Tsunami Experiment for the theme music. Shallow Throat for the announcing. Matt, of course, thank for you, helping Dave. me out here. And then 
our wives and families and everybody else that helped spread the word and our friends. We, we'd appreciate it. Reach out on our social media or people that know us personally. Text us. Give us feedback. Yeah, hit us up. So I guess that's going to be it. All right. Thank you. We'll catch you where? On the flip side. Later. Thanks for hanging out at the Old Dirty Basement. Please subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Old Dirty Basement and on TikTok at Old Dirty Basement Podcast. On behalf of Dave and Matt, this is Shallow Throat. Till next time, where it never gets too deep in the shallow end. <laughs>